podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone, I'm Harry Sethi and welcome to the last episode of Rival Recon for the season and what a campaign it's been from these record-breaking Reds. With one game to go and only a point separating Klopp and Guardiola's sides at the top of the Premier League, the title was remarkably still up for grabs. And Liverpool have a chance of sealing the deal in front of a packed Anfield crowd if things go their way. The Reds still have to win though, and Bruno Large's Wolves sides stand in their way. So on this week's show, I'm delighted to welcome on Richard Hobbs from Wolves Fancast to give us his views on how their season has unfolded and what work needs to be done to help them kick on next season. Welcome, Rich. Hi, how's it going? Not bad, not bad. You know, it's the final the final rival recon uh, of the season uh, that we're doing here. And uh, there, there was a point in the season, I think, where certainly on a Liverpool uh, perspective, wasn't sure how how sort of important these last few games were going to be. Uh, and then, yes, yeah, sort, of, sort of January onwards, they really, really sure. they really sort of made sure uh, that, yeah, <laughs> each and every one of these games has mattered. And so it's it's, it's been interesting doing this preview um, sort of show ahead of each one and, and just discovering sort of how other how other team seasons have gone. And this is the final game of the season. Um, and so I, I wanted to ask, uh, just before we get into sort of how you think things have gone, at the start of the season, new manager, um, but sort of, I suppose, comparatively little investment in the squad, um, what were your expectations for, for Wolf season? Um, I think going into the season, I think it was very much a case of at least finishing above uh, on or where we finished last season, which I think was, um, you know, lower mid table. Um, and also trying to play a nicer brand of football, dare I say. It's a, it's a bit of a crude thing to say because, right. you know, no one's got a God given right, um, to be, to be in the Premier League and, you know, to, to be a comfortably mid table team, you know, the next thing you want is, to either push on league-wise or actually to be entertained. And under the last season, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't particularly entertaining. And I think I probably said at the start of the season, I think mine was, you know what, if we were able to finish 10th and play better football, I, I don't see any Wolves fan who who not take that. And to, you know, to arguably be in a position where we could finish 8th, I don't think we will do, to be honest. But, um, you know, to finish in the top half, I don't think a club of Wolves standing can be too disappointed with that um, over the course of the season. Yeah, and I was going to ask, I mean, you you, you mentioned two things there. Sort of one, it was important to you to try and see, a, I suppose, a more expansive style of football. I think that was one of the things that I remember when I spoke to guests in the past that they they had levelled a little bit at, uh, at, at previous managers, um, certainly sort of, 
you know, Espirito Santo as well. And, and we know how sort of things went. It's sort of strange how things ended for him and sort of left on favourable terms and then quickly took that other job that was ill-advised and then the, the, the Spurs tenure worked out terribly for him. Uh, and um, But yeah, the, the, the one thing I used to hear quite quite often was, can can we be a bit more adventurous? You know, what would happen if we let these players off the hook a little bit? And actually, it used to come back again and again whenever I discussed it with Wolves fans to if you were going to try and be a bit more expansive uh, and a bit more progressive in how you played, perhaps you would have to actually change uh, sort of the defensive structure of the team, right? And perhaps that would mean a pretty difficult sort of period for the likes of stalwarts like uh, Connor Cody and stuff uh, in terms of his ability to play in a in a back four, perhaps. I mean, is 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 is, is that valid? Do you think in terms of sort of that there have been some sticking points as to maybe why the team hasn't been able to fully transition to this new uh, desired style. Yeah, and it, and it is essentially down to that. I think when Bruno Lage joined, he, he was fully intending to play for the back. It was a system he played when he was at Benfica. He came in and all his interviews, it was around playing a similar formation. And I think after two games in pre-season, he realised he doesn't have the players to play that formation because we'd spent four years under a manager playing a back three and had brought in players to play in a back three. And however, Connor Cody is a hero, cult figure, tremendous leader. There are probably question marks about whether he could do it in a back four when he is not protected either side by two centre-halves. And it does hold Wolves back to a degree. And you can play with a back three slash back five, however you want to look at it, and still be attacking. But time and again, we've shown that we're missing out on either that extra player in midfield or that extra player up front because we have an additional centre-back. And that is to essentially, as the manager almost alluded to with the comments he made at the start, that is to protect players. Mm. It's not to advance us further. It is more to protect the, the players that we've got and not, it, it, it hamstrings us because we then don't have that necessary attacking mentality at times. Um, and it, it's been difficult because, ironically, the first three games of the season, we played really good attacking football and we lost all three games, 1-0. And it was against um, Leicester, Man United and Spurs. And we lost 1-0 in each game. And I think all Wolves fans saw, you know, what there is, there is potential here. But then you also do need to get points on the board. So a lot of our wins have been quite efficient. They have been, you know, by small margins. Um, and the goals have had to be spread about because we don't have a lot of firepower up front anyway yeah. um, this season. But it does mean that when you're working on fine margins, whether it's up the back and we've been, bar the last six games, we've been fantastic defensively. Um. If, if the defence doesn't quite hold up and you're starting to concede a couple more goals than you usually would, if you then don't have the ability to really push forward, it shows. And those 1-0 wins all of a sudden become draws or they become 1-0 defeats. And that's what's happened sort of second half of the season. Um, so I think it's, there's going to have to be a lot of question marks in the off-season. I know we're talking about the current season in terms of moving players on and there does seem to be a little bit of a atmosphere at the club that there does need to be a evolution on some of these players because they've been at the club for 
five, six plus years now mm. in some cases, or joined him Nuno's third season, either in Championship or when we got promoted. And it just fit, it just feels um, like some of them need to get moved on if we're going to change the style of play, which I think is needed at this point, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I remember speaking about it at, at, at the end of last season. It was definitely the ambition that I heard from from Wolves fans, from Wolves journalists around, you know, th- th- there was this ambition to change the style of play. But yeah, there's some very tough questions, as you mentioned there. I mean, when, you, when you're dealing with cult, you know, sort of cult figures in the squad um, who perhaps, I mean, I'm not sort of completely undermining it and putting it all on kind of Cody, but I think there are some players there who are, I, I don't think they are very well suited to the, the style that you'd like to move to. Um, and so perhaps, yeah, it, it, it does become time where it's just the natural end of a, a cycle. You, you thank them very much, you move them on, and then you you embark upon this new this new approach. Having said that, yeah, looking at Wolves this season, it was always, to me, it seemed like your very fine margins, uh, very well-organised side, made it very difficult. Um, some of the um, the pressing that we saw at times from from Wolves, I thought was quite effective, but just also just how just how disciplined they were in their in their positioning as well. I remember the Liverpool game earlier in the season away at Wolves, um, just how difficult that was. And of course, it, in, in, in the end, we needed some Divock Origi, uh, sort of magic. magic, yeah, yeah, and we just heard that he's um he's set to depart now in the, yeah. end of the season, which is a bitter a bittersweet moment. The man, the man, a man who one of the most unlikely of cult figures. Yeah, it it, it it's really difficult to separate the emotional attachments of uh, the, the the landscape at the football club, and Connor Cody's a a great example of that. He came in not with big status, he had a decent enough record at Huddersfield and you know was came in as a solid championship player he was transformed into Nuno it allowed him to bring out certain qualities which were there and he'd carried through from you know his time at Liverpool youth team and the international setup when he was younger and, and his leadership abilities that that isn't something that's just happened at Wolves he's always had that um, I was going to say, just on his on, on, on his leadership abilities. I mean, is is there a palpable difference when he's not on the side in terms of that sort of um, where where leadership lies in the side? Or, or there are a couple of sort of senior figures there as well who sort of strike me as though that, that they could be sort of leaders in the squad. Yeah, it's less of when he isn't there; it's when he's not playing well. That's when right. Wolves okay. really suffer. Is how I, is how I describe it. So when he is notably not performing well, the whole team feels it because he is in that fulcrum position in the team as that third centre half whether you call it a sweep or however a lot of the play naturally has to flow through him and if he's not quite getting on the ball how he should do or he's having to play in a deeper position or he's almost essentially marked out of it by a by the opposition and restricting us Wolves feel it so when he's not on form we do suffer um to be honest, he, he, he plays every game, so it's almost hard for me to say of voice. But you're right. We, if the fact that you know we have other leaders in this team, we have Ruben Nevers, who was as similar, was capped, captain as of, of his clubs at a young age. You've got Jean Martino. No one can tell me he's not one of the most experienced players in you know European football currently. Um, so my, my kind of viewpoint on Connor Cody. Um, is a lot of how you we describe him, Wolves fans or general, pinpoint his intangibles. 
We talk about his leadership, his communication, his organisation, none of which are his footballing ability. When, when it comes to Ruben Neves, I'll talk about his passing range. You'll talk about his long-distance shooting, his tackling. And unfortunately, and it so pains me to say it with Connor Cody, if he isn't delivering that, if we are unorganised at the back, if we are looking you know, like no one's talking at a set piece, Unfortunately, then it comes down to him because if he's not bringing that to the table, the question is, well, what is he bringing to the table? And we have managed to, you know, it has been a mutually beneficial relationship for Cody and Wolves in terms of how we've they've both developed alongside each other. And, you know, he's gone off and played for England. He's gone to major tournaments. And at the end of the day, if somebody does put in an offer, of let's say 15 to 20 million, which is probably, I guess, his market value. Wolves have probably done very well out of that deal, I think. And it'll be sad to see him go to another team. But I think his leadership skills are replaceable because I think anyone, you know, lots of players can eventually step into those areas. Mm. And I think for all players, footballing ability is replaceable as well. Yeah, it's, it's it's what his departure might unlock, isn't it? I mean, we've seen, seen in the past sort of one one player who can be really, really influential on the side, uh, but perhaps a bit too influential, too the, yeah. the team's too dependent on, on on that player performing well or not or, or not performing well. Uh, they depart and they their, their departure unlocks the possibilities for different formation, different approach, maybe some new recruits who come in, change the identity of a side. Uh, and I think, yeah, based on what you were saying at the start of the season, you know, a, a mid-table finish, uh, the, the fact that even with uh, perhaps we come on to talk about it, sort of very very limited investment in the yeah. in the squad this time round, um, I think you, you can't look at what Bruno Large has been able to do with the side with the limitations that you've been talking about there. Uh, as I mean, in my opinion, I, I think that's a success, right? If if if, if there's a plan, yeah. if there's a plan in the summer to rebuild and reinvest in the squad. Um, as is needed, having secured this you know, impressive finish with the comparative resources, yeah, I think that's a job. The job well done. The football might not have always been the prettiest at times, but there were reasons behind that. It seems to me. But if, if you were looking at the season actually now that now we are at the end, and you were trying to pick a game where uh, everything clicked, you know, this is a, some of the high, some of the highlights of the season in terms of sort of the big the big wins or the big performances where you think maybe you even got a glimpse into how Bruno Large would like this side to be playing or how, or how Bruno Large Wolves team looks like when everything works. Um, w- what games would those be? And then also uh, the other end of the spectrum, you know, where things, <laughs> when, everything, when everything didn't work, when everything uh, sort of, or, or maybe a result that sort of exposed, you know, those issues that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, it's almost easier to do the second question first, because I think the first game that springs to mind of it really not working was against Brentford at home. We lost 2-0 and we looked all out of shape. We didn't know how to play against them. We looked like we didn't have a plan, which was sort of off the back of us doing quite well in the first three games, but not getting anything from it. Then I think we beat Watford, I want to say, and kind of got points on the board. Um and again, that Brentford result sort of, I think, shook them in terms of actually we can't just kind of go out and play free-flowing football if we don't, have, if we are not a hundred percent focused at the back about not conceding. Um, so the, third, the initial Brentford game was really was poor and identified kind of big 
gaping holes when if if, if everyone isn't on song and if everyone isn't on the same um, hymn sheet, then then we struggle. Um, there were there have been games later on this season like Brighton. We didn't show up at all and we lost three nil. Um, in terms of games that have gone well though, um, beating Man United away at Old Trafford, we, we played exceptionally well throughout the game. We got a goal eventually in the second half through a great great passing movement and also beating Spurs as well because it was at a period when um, actually we kind of seemed to have struck on something which was scoring early and putting a lot of pressure on early because that then allowed us to sit back that extra yard and focus on you know being tight defensively as well so I think we got two goals within the first 13 minutes I want to say off the top of my head and in my head I was like that that's the you know, that's the plan, that's the blueprint of how Wolves should be playing, especially against sort of higher tier, tier teams. Um, because actually we're doing okay at that point against the lower level opposition in the league. You know, we'd be, we'd beaten Everton at home comfortably. We'd, you know, we picked apart Watford 4-0 at home because they were really poor at that point. Um, but then sort of, it all kind of fell to pot, I think, against Leeds in March when we went to and look, Jimenez got a sending off under somewhat controversial circumstances. Um, and then, yeah, they, they after sending off, we then conceded three straight off the back. And I think it showed a, a mentality weakness, which we hadn't had before. And this, this was a team who was very strong and very sure of what they should be doing. And then there was lots of silly little defensive errors which weren't like calamities but they were you should be doing better than that it was preventable um which i you know i think we've had sort of too many of those second half of the season and since then we've really struggled to find our rhythm and find our feet yeah something i was going to come on to talk about perhaps towards the end but it's i mean you you look you look at the results you look at the the um the relative performances and I think you know, simplistically, people will look at it and go, "How you know they're they're comfortably safe? They're in a good position. Doesn't it look, look, look like, that, like, like that's going to change too much?" There's this sort of feeling, I, I suppose, around the club that the, you are sort of treading water at the moment because there needs to be some work done in the summer to really kick on and move the club forward. But in terms of uh, the the perception that, that the club are on the beach or anything like that. Uh, I, I saw some quotes from Cody coming out, and uh, I think it was after the Chelsea game. I think perhaps where you were saying that you know that, yeah. that was a good example to everybody who was who was leveling that at them that they're not uh, that they're not on the beach. They've still got that desire. Um, however, I think like you're talking about, it, it, you don't need to be on the beach necessarily, right? That that slight drop off in intensity can lead to those defensive, you know, errors that weren't there, or you know, looking a little a little less um, a little less. Uh, structure things like that do you think do you think it has been a problem for a while yes i think the loss of a couple of players defensively haven't helped you know max kilman has had an exceptionally strong season and then um he's he picked up an injury which i think we lost a bit of that um we lost his presence at the back as well um and even willie bolly who's an experienced player has come in hasn't really played at all this season and you can yeah. see he's he struggled with injury a lot over the last. He was a big influence, months. wasn't he? Yeah. 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 So he's not quite the same player, and 
against Nelson Semedo has kind of quietly gone under the radar, both what he gives us attacking and defensively. And Johnny's coming in and done really well. But I think that double change hasn't really helped us defensively. And as I say, it, because Wolves work on these such fine margins, Jose Siren goal has been a fantastic signing. Arguably, got, I say arguably, he's been goalkeeper of the season. Um, potentially not on an eye test, but you look at the amount of goals Wolves were expected to concede and the amount that we actually have. And, uh, you know, all of the statistical side of things, he is leaps and miles statistically beyond any other goalkeeper in this division at the moment or has been over the course of the season. However, if you expected goals is a lot higher than what you're actually conceding, there's going to be a point where it does cancel each other out at some point and you will start conceding more which is what sort of happened if he isn't on fire and if the defence aren't being um, restrictive but you know I, 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 I should say joked earlier that you know we beat Watford 4-0 because they were incredibly poor however even Watford has shown this season they can turn teams over Norwich of again from what was an incredibly poor start to them have shown that they can score goals and they can pick up points and mm. You, you can and will get punished against good teams in this division. And, you know, I, 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 I sort of agree with Connor Cody to a, to a point where, you know, says that, oh, we weren't on the beaches, you know, for us to push to get a, you know, 90th minute equaliser against Chelsea, that shows that we still want it. But then if you follow that with a really poor draw against um, Norwich... Yeah. Or, you know, well, we lost, I think we lost to Man City afterwards, mm. which I think, you know, you, you just take that as red, to be honest. But, no, yeah, you, but you, you've got to be being Norwich. Yeah, this, this yeah, Norwich. Yeah, uh, you know, you can't, you can't sort of have it both ways or say, oh, it's only for one game. The reason why Liverpool are in the position they're in because they want to win every single game and will leave everything out there. Um, so you could argue, you know, you, you've mentioned about the lack of investment, the small squad that we had. Bruno said, it's like the first thing you said is, we need more players. We had, for the majority of this season, we've had three central midfielders. And no one can tell me that is a recipe <laughs> for success in this division. Bearing in mind, one of them is a 35-year-old. Yeah. An, and an elegant 35-year-old, but yeah, yes, still. <laughs> fantastic. Don't get me wrong, he is still... Um, more than solid and capable enough but you are only one you know Nevis got injured for eight games or something and all of a sudden you're left with Matinho and Dendonka now now Dendonka can only play in a three-man midfield so if you've got one player who can only play well when he's with two other players again it's similar it's almost a similar situation to Cody well we can't have any midfielders on as a sub and there will be a point where there will just be a natural drop-off in terms of their, their fitness level. So, you know, it wasn't a surprise to a degree that Nevis was injured and then he's come back earlier than expected. And lo and behold, he's been below par because he's clearly not 100% fit. And it, it, it adds up over time. And you don't necessarily feel it, um, you know, first half of the season or even for two-thirds of the season. But it, it's no surprise that we've had sort of far more injuries second half of the year. And even though we've had players returning like um, Willie Bolly, who, you know, was able to come in for uh, come in for Kilman. Johnny, who came back from a long-term injury, has came in for 
um, Semedo, Neto um, has come back off a long-term injury and, you know, been able to help deliver. None of them have been 100%. Yeah. And it's, you know, hopefully having a solid, them all having a solid pre-season will give us those, you know, that cliche like and new signing, but we also need to bolster the current players we've got. Yeah, no, I think um, Petro Neto certainly is, uh, yeah, is, is is one I'm very intrigued to see how he comes back because I, I, thought, I thought he was an incredibly, incredibly exciting player, actually. So, yeah, so interested to see how sort of he... Uh, he develops next season mm. for sure, and um, actually, I was just just thinking when you when you mentioned Martinho, I think just one of my favourite interviews of the season. I think after he scored um, uh, a great goal earlier in the season, I can't remember exactly what fixture it was, but he was doing some interview after the game uh, and trying to suggest that the coach had had a word with him and you know, asked him to start shooting a little bit more. <laughs> so yeah. you're 35, yeah. 35 <laughs> years old. He's like, okay, this is the point. Yeah, you're suddenly going to become a a 15-goal yeah, yeah. a season. Man. Yeah, it's not going to happen, is it? And I think, um, you know, Bruno's been, you know, very open in terms of his opinions on players. And Neves, Martino and Dendonka all sorts of occupy a similar role in the team. There's no real differentiation between them by and large and it does mean we can't mix things up there isn't a lot of variety and Wolves have been in this division this soft fourth season in the Premier League now and teams cotton on quickly if you're you know not even if you're not that good or you know so for example you look at Leeds um, you know we talk about second season syndrome a lot don't we and it's because after Everyone's played sort of at least once. We did it against Brentford. We were a bit, we were stuck, we were struck with how they played. We got confused. We didn't like how they defended. They were nasty and gritty. But then when we played them the second time, we knew what we needed to do. And, you know, you, you almost hope that as, as a team coming up, that you can surprise teams enough to carry you through to the second season and you invest in your more players and you develop and evolve. Mm. And it seems like it's taken Wolves that little bit longer to be sussed out. We haven't had that, I say, that natural change in evolution in some of those players in down the spine. But we've also got, we're also very lucky and gifted, but we have exceptionally good players as well. So we're not going to get found out to the same degree as a Leeds because Ruben Neves came as a high quality calibre player same as Matinho. That's not to say that Leeds don't, but it does mean that our threshold is that slightly bit higher. So our regression last season from 7th to 13th, I think it was. It's understandable because teams knew how we were going to play because we have the same players. We're playing the same system. But, you know, a West Ham will have worked that out and gone, well, we played these last year twice. They've got the same players. They've got the same manager. Nothing has changed about them. We weren't asking enough questions, and Bruno did do enough. Has done enough this season to make us be perceived differently in the league. But I think old habits have crept in the second half of the season for sure. Yeah, and I, was, I, was, I was just having a quick look at some of the number of players who may be on the move this summer. I think Roman Saiz uh, is sort of likely to go with his contract mm. ended up. I think Fernando Marcel, Ruddy. Maybe uh, Gian Martino, the contract expires, but it seems like he's going to be staying. Traore, yeah. of course, there's been that sort of saga ongoing, whether or not Barca will decide to 
to keep him or not. Um, Willie Bolly, um, who, as you mentioned, perhaps not the same player as he once was. Is there is there a question to be had there? Then you've got to Dunker. <laughs> is um, maybe looking yeah. for a, a, a fresh start, Ralph Jimenez as well. Yeah. And, and, and then I suppose the question is, as you were saying, I mean, to fund that sort of refresh, would you need to, yeah, let go of somebody like the crown jewel of of, of Ruben Neves? I know that there's been some speculation around that, whether or not he's he's going to be staying on or not. I mean, rather than speculating over individual players at this stage, I, I just wanted to ask you, I suppose, uh, which, which positions do you think are absolutely key to um, sort of uh, reinforce this summer? Uh, and then I suppose, yeah, of those players I mentioned, I mean, um, what are your thoughts on whether or not they're going to be uh, they're going to be staying? Um, I think it's primarily the spine of the team that needs addressing. Um, goalkeeper's fine. Jose Sars more than capable at this division. If we're switching to a back four, then we definitely need a new centre back, arguably play alongside Max Kilman um, in a in a back four. However, then, as you know, I've already mentioned, we need more midfield. We need an additional midfielder or more dynamism within that. Um, and, you know, that's not even to, uh, accounting the fact that then Donker will want first team football with a World Cup coming up. You know, he's a Belgium international, or, you know, on and off at the very least. He's fair, regularly in the squad. He was for the last um, um, international competitions. So he's going to want to secure his place. And Willie, if he's not playing all the time, um, you know, we've got arguably Morgan Gibbs-White can come back into this this team now. And I think it'll be interesting to see what we do with him after a fantastic season at Sheffield United. And Bulls have got an option of whether they think he is ready for a Premier League and to compete in, you know, for a top half position, top half team in the Premier League, or whether we sell him for 15 million. Which are, you know would help fund us signing a new striker, which we desperately need. We have scored so few goals this season, particularly when you consider how few goals proportionally our attacking players have got. Raul Jimenez is our top goal scorer with six goals. That's not good enough for your leading striker in the Premier League, and it pains me to say it because every Wolves fan and football fan was so pleased to see him return to football after genuinely a life-threatening injury. For him to be back on the pitch is a miracle in itself. However, he has not been the same player this season. Part of that, you could argue, is systems uh, or, or whatever, but even things like you know the amount of shots he's taken are lower. His shots on target percentage is low as well, so it's not just on one, one area, so there is an argument to say, actually, you know, can we be upgrading on him um, from his form last year? But historically, our tagging players don't get goals. Adama Traoré's never consistently scored goals in his in his career. Um, Fabio Silva, although he shows a lot of promise and has done well when he's played this season, even if he hasn't got any goals, has still not got any goals uh, in the Premier League this season. Um, Neto is coming back from injury, but I... I do believe that a fully fit Pedro Neto should be getting double figures in the Premier League next season, and I think that's probably what a, a viewpoint held by by most. And then um, the, the one player Wolves did actually buy, uh, Trink, well, I was going to say we, we had Trincao on loan this season, and again he's not someone who's prolific in front of goals um, at Wolves or historically. And we we did end up getting Quang on loan, and then 
bewilderingly signing him permanently in January because he scored four goals for us in about six games, but hasn't really done an awful lot since. Uh, but he's not scored goals historically. He didn't get any in the league for Leipzig. He got um, a very good record at Salzburg in his one season there. But that seems like it's a flash in the pan at this point. Um, so Wolves definitely need to make sure they've got players, A, who can finish, but we also need to make sure we get the supply there from uh, from the midfield options as well. Yeah. I was going to ask, sort of, because you've had some sort of interesting style, stylistics of strikers in the past, I mean, sort of what kind of striker you envisage as being the perfect one for, you know, the approach that Bruno Large wants to, to, wants to adopt? Um, we definitely need someone who can link up the play. Um, a lot of Wolves' best games and best moments attacking-wise is where there's been a lot of good movement. And Jimenez has almost been acting like a... He's almost been the fulcrum in terms of being able to link up the play, but he's not ever been one to be on the end of it, which I think is interesting because it happened like quite a lot in the opening 10 games of the season, course of the season, where a lot of our chances fall into a Dharma trial rate, who, as I've mentioned, isn't a natural finisher. But Jimenez was very sort of um, good at actually linking up the play and having that slightly better movement to open up the space for somebody else. However, we need now need a player who can open up the space for somebody else and also get in the box as well. Um, so I think they, they will still want a very much a focal point type of striker and where you know we continually we got linked to Divock Origi um, the last couple of years because everyone kind of assumed he was going to go mm. at some point um, but somebody can actually open up those lines because we've got the pace out wide that we it's not that we don't need a very fast striker but we need someone who can be a bit of a totem pole and to be um, you know someone who very much hangs out between the between the line, you know, between the goalposts, it won't stay very central to mm. be on the end of chances. No, of course. And uh, just one person we haven't really talked about too much, actually, just as we get close to sort of wrapping things up. I mean, Bruno Large, I mean, by from the outside in, I think he's done a good job. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just interested in what you what you think of him, how you think he's carried himself in the role. I mean, has he connection with fans and everything like that's always important as well when you've got a new manager joining a club where there's been such a beloved you know, former, former manager at the club as well. I mean, how, how, how would you rate how he's done this season? I think overall, it, it, it's interesting because obviously the last few games, there's, you know, there's been a negative slope the last month or so around Molyneux. I think overall, if you go off league position, you know, if we finish eighth or ninth this season, I don't think we can be too disappointed because we have improved on last season with not a huge amount of financial backing for a manager and full, full credit to that. And I think one thing Wolves have got right under its ownership is they have invested in coaches who do improve players and seem to be able to eke everything they can out of a you know out of a set of players. I think with Bruno in general though, there's he as I mentioned he's been he's very open and blunt in the press about what he thinks of his squad and also individual players as well. And there was an incident when we lost to Crystal Palace when he basically called out um, Janky Hoover in the press for not preparing hard enough for games and picking up an injury. And it it it, it was fair, you know, but, but since then there seems to be 
I don't know, but the atmosphere still hasn't been quite right. And a few times this season, he seems to be very good at setting up a team. But if it's not quite working, that ability to change it in game, we have struggled with. And that might be because he's not actually a wholly experienced coach. Um, I think there's a lot of that. Or, as I said, it could be for teams have cottoned on to how we want to play. And I think a lot of that has happened the second half of the season because... Um, you have to, again, very open, but he, he made a comment about, um, after I cannot remember which game, um, but it was about the positions of our wing backs and, you know, they, they identify when to push forward, judging on the position of the opposition fullbacks. And since he made that comment, our fullbacks haven't been as, um, robust going forwards. So teams have clearly cottoned on to, their own positional sense to be wary of our wing-backs pushing forward. So A little bit too honest, yeah. Yeah, so potentially he's almost been too honest uh, to a degree, which I find uh, quite interesting. Um, I'm very much... uh, I think I was looking at it today, but if you look at our, you know, second half of the season, our expected goals for and against are incredibly low. I think we're about 17th from the table for both. I think our expected points puts us in the relegation zone so however there's a difference between expected points and the actual points you get so i'm i'm personally inclined to give him the summer because i think he's done enough to have that goodwill for for a summer transfer window if he's going to be back and if they think actually you know what the justification for our poor form second half of the season is because of squad size, which is impacting injuries and not having the certain personnel that he what that he wants. Then hope, you've got to hope that a you know having a transfer window, and I think for a lot of clubs next season, my my, my kind of theory is that we've got a um, no, we've got a Winter World Cup this year, and that's going to be a really, I think that's a very good opportunity for clubs to make a decision on their managers. But actually, we could play until mid-November, where we'll have played, what, 10 to 12 games at that point, if that. But it would allow them to make a decision. And if it isn't working Mm. next year, and if our expected goals against and goals scored become our actual goals scored, and we're 17th in the league after 10 games, and we've got a Winter World Cup happening, there is a perfect... um, you know, break opportunity at that point where they can go, you know what, let, let, let's let move on now. We can get a manager in who can work with the players who aren't on international duty and we can plan ahead for six weeks' time when everybody's back and then we'll have a transfer window. Um, so I, I, I'd be very much inclined to give him the summer because overall it's worked. Unfortunately, his style of play and his philosophy came in with, he hasn't either been able to implement or you know, for one reason or another, whether it's the players that we've got or whatever. But yeah, I think overall, I can't be too disappointed because, you know, Mm. we've done better than we have last season and it's it's incremental gains at this point. However, everyone, you don't have to invest lots of money, I I think, to be successful, but you do need to continue investing in the team. If you're not moving forward, you are moving backwards. And, you know, we're, 
there's a really strong chance that Leicester will finish above us. They will invest again in the summer. They they will spend, you know, they'll make a couple of 15, 20 million pound signings. Aston Villa are always making signings, whether they're good or bad. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of teams who overtook us last season. We didn't invest in Nuno's last season, particularly. Yeah. I think it's imperative. Yeah, I think yeah, uh, but, there needs to be that investment in the squad, just to yeah, not necessarily a huge amount of money, but I think just yeah, just freshen up positions, allow the managers some flexibility. I mean, I know it's sort of different, sort of different comparisons, but I think. Uh, one of Liverpool's strengths this season has definitely been the fact that for for the first time in quite a while, actually, it's felt as though uh, Klopp has flexibility. I mean, it's, it sounds almost greedy saying that because he's, he's got such a wonderful <laughs> a wonderful set of players to work with. But it's usually been the same core group of players, and now there's there's a few more who can actually come in, and the level doesn't drop off the, the way That's which it. it did. Right? You so. know, you look at you look at even the likes of Curtis Jones, and I remember speaking to. Um, on another Liverpool podcast last year yeah. that said he's gone from being a young player in the squad to being a squad regular <laughs> and the drop off in intensity actually um, I can't remember if he started the other day against he did um, yeah he started yeah. Ta- ta- and actually, Taki Minamino yeah. those sorts of players came yeah. In, yeah. And, and even like you know quietly it's like the additions of Harvey Elliott who you know before his injury was a first choice midfielder for you for the first time this, you know he, he had a Great loan spell the season before, and then he got integrated into that team. And don't I know that they spent money on him previously to sign him in the first place? But that's might might be you know our comparison would be Morgan Gibbs White, but he's had a couple of loan spells now to hone his craft and show that this is what I can do when you when you give me a run in the team. You know, you've got fans like me crying out saying we need a midfielder who can break into the box, who can you know go past a player who can read kind of you know break the lines or knocking out all the cliches now but actually if if that's what we're after we don't necessarily need to spend that 16 million pounds but we can't have it both ways so it's either they need to commit and say you know what we are building our team on this structure Gibbs White is like a new signing or we just need to go out and buy one we can't send them out on loan again we need to either replace. We either need to utilize the money we spend on him, or utilize the player himself. Absolutely, and I think yeah. Just 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 one final question, then just just to wrap things up. Then I mean, given all of that that we've discussed, I mean, what team are you expecting to show up at Anfield on the uh, on the Sunday? Uh, obviously, there's um, is it. Feels like there's a lot riding on it. It could all be completely in vain in the end, but um, yeah, certainly quite proud that it, you know, we've managed to drag it to um, to this final game and and leave ourselves a chance of winning. There's going to be a huge amount of intensity on Liverpool to get those three points, but I mean, what sort of um, Wolverhampton Wanderers are you expecting to turn up? Um, uh, I, I I know which kind the the listeners are hoping for. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. gonna say I'm sunglasses so, out. <laughs> yeah, I feel so negative when I say it, but like not a not a particularly solid one. Um, you know, against Man City, it, you know, we, we played them ten days ago, whatever it was. Yeah. And I, I don't. To be fair, Kevin De Bruyne was the best player in the league on that day, yeah. and he was phenomenal. And not a lot of the other Man City players were amazing, but he was phenomenal. There's um, always one, isn't there? Always... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if it wasn't him, it would be Phil Foden. If it wasn't him, it would be Mares. But 
you know. Um, but actually, when we, we brought it back to 1-1 and then we conceded again and again and then really trailed off second half. And I, I, I struggle to see Wolves being able to approach this game with the intensity and the desires to match what Liverpool's are. And we'll know, I guess, how, how much Wolves look through it if and when they, at what point they don't concede. So I think if Wolves can ride out the first 15, 20 minutes, then we'll know that this is, you know, Wolves are here now. We're, they want this game. If we concede early doors, uh, we might as well go home and start watching the Man City game and seeing what they're doing because I, I struggle to see Wolves mounting anything into the game if they've already conceded in it. Um, yeah. In terms of player-wise, the, the, the last game we played was sort of interesting because John Ruddy came in for Saar and I think that was sort of probably a bit of a farewell for him. I, I, I assumed anyway because, it's, as you mentioned, he's out of contract. He's, you know, mid-30s now. It was also against his former team who he'd spent a lot of time with. I don't think he's got any indications of retiring, but actually, if that was his last game, it ticks an awful lot of boxes sentimentally. Um, and, you know, I was going to say, seemingly, Conor Cody got hooked at half-time against Norwich, so that, that was apparently tactical. I don't, I don't think we can afford that against Liverpool if we, you know, don't want to be completely embarrassed, because I know there's, there is still a question of goal difference as well, I believe. I don't think it kind of works with the point stuff now. I think it would involve Man City losing 6-0 and us drawing 5 all with one another. Um, but it'll, it'll be a question of whether he wants to give additional minutes to people who we know who are going to be here next season. So, uh, for example, I probably wouldn't start Trincao because he's on loan. He yeah. hasn't made that much of an emotional impact with fans that we need to give him a fond farewell. So, why don't we play Neto, who we know is going to be here next season, who would... I was going to say, be appreciative of the minutes, would still be working hard for those minutes. Do you start Fabio Silva? Because again, there's not been lots of rumblings about Jimenez, but there's been enough to say that, well, hang on, we know Fabio Silva's going to be here next year. Let's give him a game. There's not that much of a drop-off in quality. So I'm interested to see what the Wolves team is. And more, more importantly, how we line up, whether we go for a three-man midfield. Because I think if we go for a three-man midfield, I think it indicates that Wolves are very much going to, are very much looking to compete and restrict Liverpool more than they might we might necessarily assume. Um, because you know if we're playing a two two man midfield, we'll probably get decimated, frankly. Um, but I think if we go for a three man, it will show that we are still really committing um, something to the game. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's hope we see that two man midfield. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I mean, I, I think yeah, my focus is uh, at this stage is just yeah, doing whatever it takes to to get the win, uh, and then I don't know what sort of witch doctors I need to contact around uh, the the, uh, the happenings at uh, Villa Park. Um, but yeah, let's see, let's see. I mean, it's uh, as I said, yeah, it's just um, good to be, uh, yeah, privileged to be at this stage anyway. So um, anyway, Rich, thank you so much for coming on, giving us all your insight into into Wolves season. I think, as you've said, it's that this summer is going to be an incredibly intriguing one in terms of sort of where this side can, can move to. But before we, before, before we did wrap up, was there anything that you wanted to, uh, to plug on your end? Yeah, I, I, I will plug Wolves Fancast. So we are the 
the longest running independent um, Wolves podcast. Um, make sure you check us out for your Wolves lols and trolls at Wolves Fancast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Absolutely, yeah. I think I've previously been on one of the YouTube uh, sort yeah. of shows as well, actually. Yeah, in the past, and that was a good laugh as well. So, yeah, definitely encourage people to to check it out. Um, and as I said, good, set to be a very intriguing summer. So, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interesting uh, content coming out across the uh, across the fan cast. Uh, and, and then to to the listeners, um, this is this is the very last uh, episode of the season. Obviously, with us focusing on uh, ahead of each and every Premier League game. So. Thank you very much for for joining me uh, on the journey. I'm not going to lie, it's probably been made a little bit easier uh, for me, given the team has been doing, has been doing has been doing well this time. I think last last season with the with the lack of centre backs, even though it did end up pretty well, felt like a sort of rinse and repeating on these shows quite a lot. So yeah, it's been a it's, it's been a privilege to cover all these games, and um, I'm sure all the all the listeners will be hoping for the same. The same result on Sunday, even if it does does feel a little bit like we're going to be needing some magic for it to to go that way. Uh, but uh, otherwise, yeah, thank you for listening to Rival Recon this season. We'll be back with some episodes uh, in preseason ahead of the the next campaign. But otherwise, uh, yeah, let's uh, cross our fingers and uh, hope for the best this Sunday. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index. And find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.